0: What's up, my friends? Welcome to the show. I'd like to give you your weekly reminder that you can check us out on Twitter at ICGAW. That's I-C-G-A-W. You can also email us at ICGAWpod gmail.com. All that information is in the show notes. Today we'll be checking out a question that was tweeted in uh, concerning the Buffalo Sabres goaltending situation. So we'd love it if you would tweet them or email them in and join the conversation. Remember to tell your friends to check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you find your podcast. <sighs> Anyone else just a little depressed about these last three games? Let's just get this over with. What's up, guys? Welcome to "It Can't Get Any Worse," America's Worst Podcast for America's Worst Hockey Team. I'm your host, Jay, and on today's show, we'll be checking out a situation with the Dallas Stars that reached such extreme measures that the union has had to st- the players' union rather has had to step in. We'll be unpacking three straight losses against the Blues, Bruins, and Islanders, and we'll be looking ahead to games against the Panthers, Bruins, and Devils. If you enjoyed the show, we would so appreciate it if you would drop us a five-star review on iTunes. We so appreciate the support and kind words. Here we go on to part one and moving on to what are you reading? We're looking at this one from tsn.com written by an unnamed TSN staff and our article is NHLPA rips unprofessional stars CEO. And we'll jump right into some quotes here, but you probably heard about this one. This one's opening up with a quote saying, The National Hockey League Players Association, that's the Players Union, has officially responded to the pointed and profane remarks Dallas Stars CEO Jim Lights directed towards Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan. In a statement released on Sunday, the NHLPA called Lights' remarks reckless and insulting. So we're going back a little bit here to last Friday where CEO, Dallas Stars CEO, Jim Light's made the following comments after the game. And something that's important here is that he specifically sought out reporters and stressed that he wanted these statements to be on the record. And referring to... Most of the team, but then specifically to Jamie Bent and Tyler Sagan, he used words that, let's just say I don't want to mark explicit on this podcast, so I'm just going to say they are something, horse, something. I don't know how else to put it. That was what Lights said, actually. Lights told the Athletics' Sean Shapiro and Matthew DeFranks of the Dallas Morning News. The team was okay, but Sagan and Ben were terrible. And so we're going to jump over to Sean Shapiro's article from The Athletic because he was the one who broke a lot of this. And being The Athletic, he was able to put it out mostly uncensored. But these are more of Jim Light's comments. We are a stars-driven league and our stars aren't getting it done, Lights said. It's embarrassing and no one writes it. Write it. These guys are not good enough. They're not good enough for me, they're not good enough for the owner, and they're certainly not good enough for the general manager, who I can't speak for, but it's not good enough for the job he's done, Lights added. But we've had meeting after meeting after meeting. The accountability on the ice is not there. These guys were signed to big contracts because they were third and sixth leading scorers in the National Hockey League over the past five years. They got their money. We expect them to not be outplayed every game we play in. And if we were as good as they've been in the past... We wouldn't be having this conversation. Um, there was one stat that got brought up that Tyler Sagan, while he has been underperforming this season by his standards that got him his most recent contract, he's hit more posts and crossbars combined than any other player in the NHL, but apparently that's not an acceptable excuse to lights. He's hitting posts. Wah, wah. That's what I have to say about hitting posts. Wah, wah, light says. Get a little closer to the action. Actually go to the spot where you score goals. He doesn't do that. He never does that anymore. He used to be a pest to play against. People hated playing against Tyler Sagan. They don't anymore. These guys have been great players, but we are 40 games into the season and they aren't getting it done. We are going to sleepwalk to another 14th place place from the bottom and miss the playoffs. So we're going to go back to TSN um, because this Their TSN article ends talking about the contracts that he was talking about. Ben, 29, is in the second year of an eight-year, $76 million contract, earning $13 million this season with a $9.5 million cap hit, making him the third highest player in the NHL this season. He has 15 goals and 15 assists through 39 games this season. Sagan, 26, signed an eight-year, $78.8 million extension in the fall that goes into effect next season. He has 11 goals and 22 assists through 39 games. So jumping into the response from the NHLPA, the Players Union, they came out with a very strictly worded response. Uh, They stated the comments Jim Lights made regarding Tyler and Jamie were both reckless and insulting. If players directed such comments toward management, how would those be regarded? To say that Jim Lights' conduct is unprofessional would be a gross understatement. In professional sports, all individual players and teams go through highs and lows, but this is not how professionals handle adversity. While there was no punishment for Jim Lights, oh, before we move on, let me add that they did ask Jamie Ben about these statements, and he started kind of strongly in his response, but then immediately scaled it back. He responds, I don't play for him, Ben said. I play for every other player in this room, the coaching staff. I come to the rink, and like I said, I am proud to be a Dallas star, and I am proud to go out every night and battle with these guys in games. I really put my teammates first. And we should say that the Stars at the time of recording are currently occupying the last wild card position in the Western Conference. Apparently, that is not good enough for Jim Lights. He wants to see them pushing a little further. But I do want to just share a couple quick thoughts on this. First of all, it's a little weird that these comments came after a win. And not only that, a shutout win against Nashville. And especially this attack on two of your best offensive players is a little oddly timed when you're talking about a game against one of the best defensive cores in the league. I'm sorry that they weren't capable of getting it done, but you won the game and it's not that much of a surprise that they were shut down by a defensive core of that magnitude. Number two. Sagan and the ownership are already on rocky ground, and I'm certain that this has something to do with that. There were grumblings over the summer about how he was really upset that his contract had not gotten done in the offseason. That was kind of added to the fact that the Stars went in hard on John Tavares, while in the meantime not giving Sagan his new contract that he eventually signed. And Tyler Sagan was public about his unhappiness about the lack of contract talks, and Not only that, he hasn't been that great since signing the thing, so there's definitely already some rough blood there. Number three, this is the sign of a dysfunctional organization. I'm left questioning how an owner feels that these comments are either needed or how they think that they're going to be successful. All right, have they been underperforming? Sure, but for the money that they're being paid, being just under point-per-game players really isn't good enough, especially knowing what these guys are capable of, especially with some like less-than-stellar players around them most of the time. We know what those players are capable of. They've had several career seasons in the last few seasons with the Stars. They're underperforming. But how do you think this is going to help? When the captain of your team has to respond to comments from the organization's president and the opening line is something like, I don't play for him, that certainly shows some signs of discord that's already quite present. I also think he didn't do himself any favors by jumping into analysis of how Tyler Sagan is playing. We're talking about a guy who has never skated in his life, talking about how Tyler Sagan needs to be going to the net more and being more difficult to play against. Oddly timed comments from a president who specifically sought out NHL reporters to say, nobody writes about this, you need to write about it, I want to make sure that this is on the record. An interesting development with one of the teams in the West that certainly does not appear to be over. The Sabres will actually play the Stars at the end of the month, and I'm really interested to see, first of all, how this develops, and also whether or not Jamie Ben and or Tyler Sagan are Dallas Stars by the end of this season. I don't think anything will move quite so quickly, but if the organization is that upset about the performance of these and other players that these kind of public items are being stated on the record, I would imagine that some kind of move is going to happen in the near future. That's it for What Are You Reading? Join us in part two where we talk about that time that Ryan O'Reilly melted all of our souls. See you in a second. All right, moving on to part two and we've got to start with the game that nobody really wants to talk about. It's when the Sabres went to visit the St. Louis Blues last Thursday, uh, Jason Pominville was listed as day to day on this one, and he didn't make the trip. And Boliu was a healthy scratch. It was kind of business as usual with the top line being uh, Jeff Skinner, Jack Eichel, Sam Reinhart. That bottom, or second line, sorry, trying to figure out things with Connor Sherry, Vladimir Sabatka, and Evan Rodriguez. Casey Middlestat was centering a line with Kyle Poso and Remy Eli. And the fourth line was made up of Tage Thompson, Zemgus Giergensen and Johan Larson, uh, Scandela, Bogo, Pilot, Ristalainen, and Darlene McCabe for this one. There was a lot of talk beforehand about the value of Carter Hutton on and off the ice for the Sabres and how much the Blues were missing that this season. Remember, they made the decision to let Carter Hutton go, and he eventually signed with the Sabres and has been quite good up to this point, but he's one of the items we'll be talking about later in the episode. Also, of course, there's lots of Ryan O'Reilly talk. He's been killing it. He's smart, and he's dangerous, and it was a tough tough task for the Sabres tonight. Blues were without Fabry, who wasn't quite healthy enough to make it for this one off a shoulder injury, also Petrangelo, who had some sort of hand surgery recently, and it's Jake Allen in net for the Blues first period opening minutes featured really strong performances from the top line and the fourth line featuring Girgensson's Larson and Tage Thompson Tage Thompson definitely looked like he had a point to prove after being shown the door in that trade for Ryan O'Reilly this summer there was a power play opportunity five minutes in as Edmondson went to the box for a slew footing essentially Scandela into the boards the top line got hauled off after a couple a couple of failed entries but the B team saw Evan Rodriguez take several shots from good positions on the right. Lawrence Pilot did a really great job quarterbacking that back end from the point and recycling possession. Both teams clearly had their game in the first period. For the Sabres, it was pace and burning them. For the Blues, it was possession and crashing the net, and both are working. But neither net or neither net, neither team can execute when it matters. There are missed shots and relatively easy saves to keep it level. Blues' best chance was thwarted by Jake McCabe as he took one off a Blues winger on the doorstep. That's twice in two games that he's had a play like that. It's fast, it's fun, it's goalless. Um, Jake Allen has been suspect lately, but the save of the period goes to the Blues tender as he uh, denied Darlene on the doorstep as he was set up by Casey Middlestat on a breakout. Hudden helps the Sabres survive a late Blues flurry, and it ends goalless with shots going 10-6. Trade watch through the first period, Ryan O'Reilly is very good and has three of the Blues' six shots. He's also set up several other good scoring chances. Tage Thompson is noticeable in the offensive zone, making a few things happen early in the period, and is noticeable in the defensive zone, giving up the puck twice on one shift late in the period. Berglund is off the team. He makes roughly the same contribution to this period as Vladimir Sabadka, and the first round pick is probably still in 2020. Moving on to the second, the Blues score on a gross one two minutes in to scrum out in front, and the puck gets caught all up in Hutton's business, and he's sprawled out trying to find it. He pulls his arm back, trying to locate the puck, and with his elbow, knocks it in behind him. one nothing. Robert Thomas officially gets the goal on that one. And from that, it's all Blues. Hutton recovers by making some good saves, and the Sabres lose their cohesion that they had in the first period. They ice the puck no less than four times in six minutes. The pressure is ended by Scandella, who trips Shen onto the boards, and the Sabres have to go on a penalty kill six and a half minutes in. Sabres kill without much instance. Rhino did didn't have the best connection on a one-timer that was probably the best chance that they were able to set up doesn't take long from that point for the Blues to double their lead. Perron goes low down on the left and is toying with Pilot in a physical battle, basically just holding him off with one hand. He drops it for Bo Meester, who's coming in old and slow into the slot. He drops one unguarded over Hutton's glove side shoulder. There's work to do for sure. Less than a minute later, Patrick Maroon makes it 3-0 as they leave him unguarded at the edge of the post. Robert Thomas' stick-handled his way through basically the entire team, past Hutton, and just casually leaves it for Maroon, who's camping like a 12-year-old playing Modern Warfare 2 in 2009. The Sabres finally wake up 13 minutes into the period and start to generate a little bit of pressure. Eichel goes down hard at speed, go, speed going to the net from the defensive zone and draws a tripping call on Edmondson again. Late in the third, Sabres do an excellent job moving the puck on the ensuing power play. and gives it to Eichel, who moves into a better shooting position and risks one past a screened Allen to make it 3-1. Sabres keep going with a bit of pressure to the end of the period, but it's one they're going to want to forget. A relatively horrible 13 minutes sees them go down by three. They recover slightly at the end to reduce the deficit. Trade watch through the second period. Ryan O'Reilly is everywhere, but not exactly decisively. He's winning some key faceoffs and driving his team. Sabatka has one shot in this period. That's one more than Patrick Berglund, I suppose we could say. Tage Thompson is tall, and that's probably about all we can say about him. With this result, the first round pick might possibly be now in 2019. Into the third, the Sabres have some good pressure, but the best chances fall to St. Louis in transition, if we're being perfectly honest. Hutton saves well. 14 minutes into this one, Ryan O'Reilly streaks down the right with pace we didn't really know he had and blows it over Hutton's shoulder for the dagger, and we can all start crying now. Sabres fail to generate really anything meaningful in the closing minutes and almost concede a fifth on more than one occasion. They fall to the second-worst team in the league, 4-1 trade watch through the third period. This team is ruining my life. Three points from this one. We won't really know the winner of the Ryan O'Reilly trade for a few years, but right now it just blows. It really rationally depends on Tage Thompson and whatever that first round pick turns into for the Sabres. Whether or not the Blues win in this window is really the determining factor for the Blues. If they don't win a cup with Ryan O'Reilly, I guess you could say that they lost the trade, but I don't even know if that's a standard we want to hold them to. Just watching your player, or watching a player who was your second-line center produce at a point-per-game pace while your second-line center is Vladimir Sabodka, who is floundering game after game. That's certainly troubling, and the goal scored by Ryan O'Reilly was the dagger that we didn't need, but it was perhaps necessary to help the team realize some of the flaws that need to be addressed. And going a little further, watching Ryan O'Reilly run this game loudly, quote unquote, was harmful enough. But watching Robert Thomas quietly run the game as a young center was an extra twist of the knife. He had the first goal and the assist, the particularly impressive assist for Patrick Maroon's third, and he led the team in shots. And if you remember, he was one that a lot of Sabres fans were really hoping would be included in the Ryan O'Reilly trade. And the Blues, for good reason, were very quick to put their foot down on that one. Point two, this is when I officially said enough. C.J. Smith is consistently the Amrick's best player since Zach Redmond has stopped being superhuman and it's time, it's time to do something. Whether that's calling up C.J. Smith or even whether that's calling up Alex Nylander. And I have said two things in the past when the topic of calling Alex Nylander has come up. Two things. Number one, I always said there's no room in the top six for him at the moment. And number two, his point production slash overall performance in Rochester is misleading. The former is no longer true. There is certainly room in the top six for him if they continue to produce at this level. level. The latter is point that his point production and overall performance is misleading that wouldn't really bit be out of the place in this environment anyway. Phil Housley had probably the most depressing comment about the situation when he was asked about secondary scoring. He said, I think that's a question for the players. I get his point that we're talking about players with really long droughts like Sabatka, like Sherry, like Kyle Poso. Dude, that's not necessarily just a question for the players. You are the one who picks the players, and you and Jason Botterell are the one who determines who plays in Buffalo and who gets called up from Rochester. This has been going on for a long time, and nothing has been done to fix it. Point three, the Sabres' ability to play to the level of their opponent is understandable but annoying. I think about the game against the Flyers. I think about both games against the Panthers this season. I think about this game against the Blues. It's understandable. This is a young team with a young captain. It's frustrating that the team can't consistently rise to the occasion and capitalize, but I don't blame the players for lacking motivation. Well, I don't blame all of them. I look at Carter Hutton and Zach Bogosian and I wonder what's up. I look at Phil Housley and I wonder what's up. I like all of these guys, but I do start to wonder what is said in the locker room to lead up to these sorts of games and what's said in the locker room between periods when things aren't going their way against teams they should be capitalizing on and they should be beating. We'll leave that depressing one behind and talk about another one with the Bruins. Charlie McAvoy went under the IR that day, and Brad Marchand was also declared to be out for that game. David Backus sat as he was suspended for three games for an illegal check to the head on Blake Coleman earlier that week. Beaulieu replaces Pilot. Housley said that the game that Pilot played against St. Louis wasn't necessarily his best. Allmark is sick, so Wedgwood is called up to sit on the bench. Sabres essentially roll out a very similar line. Casey Middlestadt and Kylock Poso rise to the second line. They run a third line of Thompson, Sabatka, Pominville, and a bottom line of Eli, Larson, and Rodriguez. It's Bolu, Bogosian, McCabe, Ristaline, and Scandela, Darlene, and Hutton in net. During this one, or before this one, Zemgis Giergensen was declared week to week with an upper body injury, which is why he dropped out of the lineup for this one. It's Raskin net for the Bruins, and you've got to be honest, facing a Bruins team without Charlie McAvoy, without Brad Marchand, and without David Backus, this should have been one that the Sabres were able to capitalize. First five minutes of the first pass without relative incident. About five minutes in, the top line gets going and gets a few looks on net. In one breakout, Reinhardt backhands a pass to Skinner across the blue line, and Skinner cruises in while casually holding off Zdeno Chara. He gets all the way to the net, and he backhands one. Rask saves, but the rebound falls to, is that Marco Scandella? Scandella crashes the net and slides the puck into an empty net for his second of the season. The game opens up after that one. Hutton and Rask swap a few saves, but the Bruins equalize five minutes later with a bit of luck. Jeff Skinner does a great job tracking Miller behind the net after Risto had kind of lost him, but Skinner then pops the puck out to Noel Achari on the doorstep. It's a beautiful assist and bit of playmaking to the wrong team. Achari puts it onto Hutton's pad. It bounces off the pad, off of Ristolainen, and into the goal. Sabres have to kill one a minute later as Bogo goes to the box on a hooking call. Maybe lucky not to have been a bit more. you got chippy with half the Bruins team and exchanged a few cross-checks after that. Penalty kill is relatively uneventful other than Jake McCabe taking a meaty Bergeron one-timer off the backside of his calf. He struggled to put weight on that foot, but was able to battle it out for the 40-plus seconds he was stuck out there. It ends 14-7 shots in favor of the Bruins. Into the second... Sabres start well and draw some saves. They end up playing 4-on-4 four four for a bit. Sabres had a power play opportunity that ended quickly as Eichel just walloped Chara's face with a high stick. He drew some blood, so it's 4, and the Sabres have to kill the rest of that penalty after that. They survive the kill and get some fortune as they hit the post. On the ensuing breakout, Erod ends up in a 2-on-1 with Johan Larsson against David Pasternak. Erod carries and Larry buries it. It's 2-1 shorthanded. Sabres let the Bruins get in their face and play their game in the first, but this middle stanza is largely all Sabres. Shots are now 14-7 in favor of the Sabres this time around, and we go to the third with a Sabres lead. Into the third, Hutton's called upon a few times as the Bruins try to take some initiative back in the third. It's a little back and forth, and Pominville probably has the closest attempt as he deflected one just wide from out in front. Bit of a dicey moment for Sam Reinhardt nine minutes in as Jacob Forsbacher-Carlson, that's a name, slipped and put his skate right onto Sam's ankle, which gave into the ice a little bit. He hobbled on down the tunnel, but thankfully returned a few minutes later. It almost got worse as Casey middlestat made a brainless move to backhand it across the net to Hutton, right to an offenseman right out front. Scandella, oddly enough, mops up the rough situation. Sabres have to kill a penalty with four minutes left. Risto left a leg in on Pasternak as he chased him into the corner. It looked pretty rough in slow motion, and Pasternak was grimacing afterwards. But there were a lot of complaints about why this one was called. It had been a really rough period where a lot of stuff had gone uncalled, and this was a weird one for the not a weird one. It was frustrating that the refs took action on this one at the end of the game, but had let so much else go throughout it. Pasternak, while grimacing, does come out on the power play, and the Bruins hold a long period of possession. Krug risks one from the blue line, and Jake DeBrusk tips it out front for a late equalizer. Sabres survive a late flurry from the Bruins to end a rough third period for the home team and head to overtime. Sabres were outshot 18-5 in an abysmal third stanza. They roll out the line of Eichel, Skinner, and Ristalinen against Krejci, Moore, and DeBrusk. It's a little flat for the first 30 seconds or so, and then Skinner gets hauled down by Krejci, and Krejci goes to the box for tripping. Sabres call a timeout and roll out their money OT line of Eichel, Skinner, Darlene, and Ristalinen, but to be perfectly honest, they're pretty abysmal and fail to generate a single shot. The B team finally takes the first shot on target through Evan Rodriguez. The Bruins burn back the other way and get a shot on Hutton. He pops out a juicy rebound for Sean Corrales, who pokes home the OT winner. Point one, this is what the Sabres are now. I think the Sabres are below then average um, in terms of their output and in terms of per- their performance. I think statistically, this is what the Sabres are. We talked about for a long time that they were not win 10 games in a row good, I don't think they are lose three games in a row bad, but this is what the Sabres are. I think we're going to be looking at a streaky team with streaky performances of players. They rode the performances of their top line, whether that was comprised with Jason Pominville in it or whether that was comprised with Sam Reinhardt in it. All those players were playing well for an extended period of time. When they dry up, this is probably what we're going to see. Point two is kind of funny that I made at the time. Point two for this game was I don't think Kyle Ocposo will ever score again, and he did conveniently score in the very next game. But this was 21 games, which was his longest drought of his career. And... What I was noticing at the time is that he's getting limited power play time. His ice time is less than 15 minutes a game. I mean, even with the goal that he scored, we might start hating that contract a lot sooner than we thought he was going to make. We were going to hate it. Uh, he is making six million for the next five seasons, and he's a player who has never been blessed with an incredible amount of speed, but with the direction that the game is going, going towards pace and skill and tenacity and Kyle Ocposo's trending direction of not having a whole lot of any of those things, we're going to need to see a different player from him if we're going to appreciate paying him $6 million for the next many seasons. Point three, on a slightly more positive note, I thought this was Marco Scandella's best game of the season. We've ripped on him left and right for various performances against various teams, so you, you got to give him some credit when it was due. Obviously, he scored the first goal, but he also made several game and goal-saving plays throughout the time. Look, I, I don't mind Marco Scandella being in the team. I mind that he gets first line minutes and thankfully he hasn't been seeing that too much this season with the healthiness of McCabe and Magogian and the addition of Dahlin and Pilot we can let Scandella be what he should probably be which is a third liner I think he gets paid a little bit too much to be a third liner but if law as long as he continues to get those opportunities rather than being the guy who's rolled out on the second power play or the guy who's rolled out in massive penalty kill situations. I would rather see him get the smallest amount of ice time. He had a good game today, and I want to point that out. Moving on to the game against the Islanders, this was a New New Year's Eve outing, and the Islanders were coming into this one having beaten the Leafs 4-0 on the weekend as they faced John Tavares for the first time. Robin Lehner was in goal for the shutout. They had won three straight and were 7-2-1 in the last 10 games, and I saw something ridiculous that Robin Lehner had only conceded two goals in his last five games. C.J. Smith was called up for this one, finally signaling some action being taken to address the issue of secondary scoring. He's been the Amrick's best player for the last few weeks, so it was well-deserved. His last game for the Sabres was two seasons ago, and conveniently, and or not conveniently, kind of coincidentally, also against the New York Islanders. I believe he had one point in that game. Jack Eichel did not practice the day before in a narrative that would become rather important. Housley said on the day that he was a game-time decision, and he did make it. Things were looking pretty normal lineup-wise. Skinner, Eichel, Reinhardt, uh, Sherry, Middlestat, Evan Rodriguez, Tage Thompson, Vladimir Sabatka, Jason Pominville, and CJ Smith came in to play in the fourth line with Joanne Larson and Kyle Ocposo. McCabe, Risto, Scandela, Dahlin, and Bolu, Bogodian with Carter Hutton in net. Into the first, the puck is dropped and play doesn't stop for over five minutes. There are line changes four plus times and it's the Sabers. All over the place. Good attempts from Skinner, Middlestat, and Risto lead, lead a possession onslaught for the Sabers. C.J. Smith got in on the action at one point. The game is flying by, and the Sabers are out shooting ten to seven with eight remaining. Tage Thompson lines up several great attempts from close in, and all of a sudden we realize that Jack Eichel is not on the bench, and the Sabers are trying to. Uh, change the game up for that. Sabatka comes out with the top line at one point. He had been a game, uh, Jack Eichel, sorry, as we talked about, had been a game-time decision, and something ended up bugging him that took him out of the game. Islanders aren't without their opportunities. Hutton's called in for saves on Anders Lee and Josh Bailey. There's a dicey one where the puck ends up just scooting right behind his back across the face of the goal, but thankfully there's nowhere, uh, no one there to tap it in he produced the save of the game with 3 minutes remaining in the first Barzal put a great pass across the front to Josh Bailey and Hutton flailed a stick over the empty net to deflect Bailey's attempt the Islanders are growing into things at the end but the end or the first stanza I'm sorry ends all square the second gets going pretty quickly Hutton has to make some frantic pad saves early on and on the ensuing faceoff the Islanders capitalize Leo Komarov wins the draw. It goes to Barzal, who cycles it to Nick Letty on the point. Letty holds it for a second and then drops a bomb that goes over Hutton's shoulder. Hutton had, interestingly, committed to the far side of the goal. I'm not sure if he misread it or was screened, but nevertheless, it's 1-0 three minutes in. Sabres generate some chances in the second, but the only other real news is that it was officially declared that Jack Eichel would not be returning for the game. Early in the third, Brock Nelson weaves in between Rasmus Ristolainen and Sam Reinhart, who for whatever reason, either a line change or an odd turnover, is lined up in the right D spot as Nelson is coming in. Neither of them close him down adequately, and he lets a wrist shot go. Hutton gets a glove on Nelson's shot, but then the puck slips out of his glove, flips through the air behind his back and into the goal, and it's 2-0. Sabres respond on a power play opportunity about eight minutes later. Barzal had gone to the box for slashing, and towards the end of the power play, Bolu left it for Ocposo, who creeps in down the right-hand side and finally risks one through Robin Lehner. Tage Thompson, has to be said, had put up a great screen on the play as well, Ocposo's first goal in 22 games. That's over half of this season so far. Isles add a freak open net goal with 30 seconds remaining as Ryan Pulak clears it off the boards from behind the goal line. It's coming out along the boards over Bogosian's head. Bogo reaches for it and tips it with his glove. That gives it just the perfect amount of spin to slide 60 feet down the ice and into the goal. Sabres lose 3 1 and fall to 21, 13, and 6 on the season. Couple points. Point one. Robin Lehner was the best place on the ice for this one. He made 39 saves off of 40 shots, and he had some comments afterwards that were really interesting. He said afterwards, this is from Mike Harrington, who starts this tweet by just saying, Lehner was emotional. Lehner said, it was probably the hardest game I've played in my career. I don't know why. It was a really weird feeling for me. It's mixed emotions. I really liked this team. Everything that's happened has happened. It's been a tough time. And we've talked about Robin Lehner's uh, struggles in the offseason and the stuff that was published in The Athletic with kind of his somewhat tell-all tale with some of the things he was dealing with, with substance abuse and mental illness issues. And just want to say, first of all, he played a great game, and I'll congratulate him, but we wish him well on all further endeavors on and off the ice. Moving on into something a little more negative. negative, point two, the Sabres did... Okay, to compensate for the loss of Jack Eichel, and there are some positives to this, but they're doomed if his injury is going to be long term. It is an opportunity for Casey Middlestat and Sam Reinhart and Evan Rodriguez even to step up. Might even mean increased chances for someone like CJ Smith, chance for maybe some of the other Rochester guys to come up and show what they can do. But at the end of the line, there's not enough center depth in this entire organization. Rochester doesn't even really have a bona fide number one. They had actually been trying out CJ Smith there a couple times to try to find solutions for that. After Casey Middlestat, who, let's be perfectly honest, has not been stellar so far in his rookie season, it gets rough. We've seen Sam Reinhardt play there and it hasn't worked out in the past. We're not going to be successful if we're watching um, Vladimir Sabaka play first line center. In fact, I would actually rather see Zemgis Girgensons play top line center than Vladimir Sabatka. Let's let, let's let's get down to it. We can't replace a player of the quality of Jack Eichel. You can only survive while they're out injured, but sadly I don't expect the Sabres to have the tools to survive a long-term Jack Eichel injury. It was we saw the effects of them trying to survive a Jack Eichel injury when they had Ryan O'Reilly now subtract Ryan O'Reilly from this situation. So positives, if we're trying to find a positive light, there are going to be some chances for other players on this team to step into things, but it doesn't look bright if this is going to be a long-term injury. Point three, the Sabres are now in trouble. This is from Mike Kelly at Mike Kelly NHL on Twitter. The Bruins win knocks the Sabres into a wild card spot. This is talking about the Bruins win over the Chicago Blackhawks in the Winter Classic game on New Year's Day. The Bruins win knocks the Sabres into a wild card spot. Just over a month ago, Buffalo was first in the Atlantic Division, nine points clear of ninth place. That lead is down to two over the Islanders, who have two games in hand. Stock up, stock down over these three games. It's kind of hard to talk about stock up after three straight losses, but we still got to keep talking about a player who is quietly having an excellent season. And this tweet is really funny, um, and it goes back to that game where Sam Reinhart had uh, took a puck to the face in a game on November 10th and had to leave the ice and came back with a fat-stitched lip. And this is from Ted Goldberg on Twitter at Ted Goldberg TV. Since Sam Reinhart busted his lip and received a few mid-game stitches, he has 27 points, 7 goals, and 20 assists in 22 games. He's killing it, and he put up a few... Fairly solid performances up to this point. Had an, ass- uh, an assist or two over these couple of games, and I will. If we're looking for a positive, we can reward him in this circumstance. Stock down. The team as a whole, I think. As we talked about, like the Bruins win, knocking them into that wild card spot when just over a month ago they were first place in the Atlantic division. Um, At one point, they cruised to the very top of the NHL standings. They're now far from that. Gaps over teams like the Bruins and the Islanders and even the Panthers um, are much less significant than they were a month ago. Things are looking a little rough, and they're going to need to find some solutions. That's it for part two. Join us in part three, where we'll be previewing the Sabres next outings, talking about what's going on down the road in Rochester, around town in the league, and opening up our mailbag with a question from one of your fellow listeners. We'll see you guys in a second. All right, welcome to part three, where we'll be taking a look at the Sabers' next three outings, and the Sabres will open up tomorrow at home against the Florida Panthers, and as we are well aware, the Panthers have had the Sabres number this season and for the last several seasons. The Sabres have lost six straight to Florida. Whether or not they'll have Jack Eichel for this one is not currently known, Um Phil Housley said today in a press conference that they're going to hear from the medical staff soon. It has not been declared what uh, the prognosis is for how long he's going to be out. The Sabres lost the last outing at home to the Panthers 5-2. The Panthers have won two straight against the Flyers and Red Wings. The Sabres have lost three straight going into this one. How do we think this one is going to go? We might see their new acquisition, Chris Weidman, in this one. He was acquired uh, from the Edmonton Oilers in exchange for uh, Petrovich, who you might remember was the one that Evander Kane fought and beat in three fights in one game a couple seasons ago. So not one, if we're being totally honest, that I'm totally optimistic about, but we'll see how things go. And, of course, we will always root for the homeboys Moving on, the Sabres will then travel to Boston on Saturday. The Bruins beat Chicago 4-2 in the Winter Classic, and that result catapulted them over the Sabres in the standings and into third place. They survived a bit of an injury bug with Marchand and that suspension of Bacchus and the injury to Charlie McAvoy, and now they're really starting to purr. They've won six of their last ten. The Sabres couldn't get it done against them at home, Uh, with Jack Eichel, this one could go a little bit rough in Boston. And unfortunately, this one is now crucial, and it doesn't look good. They play the Flames on Thursday before this one in Boston. And Sabres will round out this outing with a trip to the Devils on Tuesday. Devils are a weird team. They were horrible two seasons ago that ended in them um, having the first overall pick. They were rather incredible last season off the performances of Taylor, like, players like Taylor Hall. They started this season off horribly, and now they're starting to look decent again. They have won three straight and have finally climbed out of the very bottom of the standings. They're 5-4-1 in their last 10, which doesn't seem that impressive, but those losses involve two losses to the Blue Jackets, one to the Leafs, and one to Nashville. All teams that you would kind of expect your team to lose to if they were the caliber of the New Jersey Devils. And they won three straight going into this one. I mean, the Sabres are meeting teams that are getting hot and playing well at a time where the Sabres are cold and are not playing well. And I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer, but it would not surprise me in the slightest if we ended this three-game stint and at our next episode, we were talking about our sixth straight loss. I hate to be that depressing, but if we're going into these outings without Jack Eichel, I don't know where a win comes from. Moving on to some slightly more positive notes. Talking about down the road in Rochester, the Amricks beat the Cleveland Monsters and the Toronto Marlies in resounding 4-0 and 5-1 victories but they couldn't continue their stint against the Utica Comets, whom they lost 4-3. That was a big week for them. Those are three really good teams in their division and they were in their conference, and they were capable of getting four out of six points in those difficult games. They play the Bridgeport Sound Tigers actually right now at the time of recording. They are currently down 3-2 in the second period. Uh, it's uh, Kyle Criscolo and Danny O'Regan with the goals. They then travel to Laval for a doubleheader against the Laval Rocket. The Rocket are pretty bad. They're bottom of the Amex North Division. Rochester is going to look for four points this weekend. And we'll see how long they have to do without their joint leading point scorer, C.J. Smith. He's got 13 goals and 16 assists. And he's tied with Victor Olafson, who has 10 goals and 19 assists. Um, and C.J. Smith had 10 points in his last eight games. A lot of folks were wondering um, why Victor Olofsson did not either get called up in place of him or get called up with him. Olofsson has eight points in those same uh, eight games, but only two of them are goals on that one, and C.J. Smith had six goals in the last eight games on top of an additional four point, or four assists. So I think that's probably why he got the call. He has been their most consistent, best player all-around player in every position they've put him in for the last month or so. Nylander was nursing a bit of an injury, so I don't know that we're going to see him anytime soon. He is playing tonight. He's listed on the top line uh, against against Bridgeport, sorry. So we might see him get healthy and possibly make an appearance if the Jack Eichel injury goes on for a long time. I'm not so sure that that's the best idea, but you know what? We've got to try him out somewhere. Moving on to around town, uh, the World Juniors Tournament is currently going on and is captivating quite a few people. Uh, there have been some really interesting moments, like an instance where uh, one Swiss player ended up being awarded two penalty shots on the same play. He was tripped twice going to the net. And it tripped once, got up, and then was tripped again and then got a shot off. So he was awarded two um, two penalty shots for that, that uh Penalty, sorry, and but then consequently missed both of them. Um, so interesting moments going on there. It's always really cool to see just the next generation of youngest players coming out here. Last year it was in Buffalo, and they had that awesome outdoor game where Casey Middlestat really shone uh, at Bills Stadium. So cool tournament that's going on. Elsewhere, items of note, uh Penguins Jake Gensel signed a five-year, thirty million dollar contract. He was basically nobody before his impressive performances with the playoffs or in the playoffs with the Penguins a few seasons ago, and that's a really big contract for a player like him to sign. Um, I think they're, you know, probably gonna be thinking about in the next few years, moving on to a, their next generation, if they're going to think about retooling, and Jake Gensel might be a piece of that. They might have some tough decisions to make with guys like Crosby and Malkin, etc., and um, it looks like they want Jake Gensel to be a piece of that puzzle going forward. Also, some other news. The Edmonton Oilers made some moves um, that were came into some little bits of suspect. There were numerous items that folks wanted to talk about from this one, including uh, trading for Brandon Manning of the Chicago Blackhawks, who hadn't even been playing for the Blackhawks for several teams. That's one of the bottom leagues in the team that he couldn't get in, trying to acquire him. Brandon Manning was also the one who broke Eichel's collarbone a few seasons ago in his rookie season, and then was vocal on the ice about how he had done it on purpose, and there was a little bit of fallout on that. Really interesting move there. They traded Chris Weidman, who they just require or just acquired earlier in the offseason um, to send him on his way to Florida for Petrovich, who they brought in, who was just a third D pairing defending with defender with Florida. Shirely was asked about these moves to bring in defenders and really just players who are or defenders who are not quality guys who are going to be changing the fortunes of your team and he said out loud saying that well it's really difficult to acquire par game changing defensemen or game playing defensemen and I guess the big question I have to ask him is like does he not understand that Eric Carlson was just a few months ago traded into his division like you can get them you just have to be Willing to go for it, but teams are obviously not going to accommodate that and are going to overcharge him for defensemen because the world knows that that's what the Oilers need to, to get moving forward. They've also been trying to dump the Ryan Spooner contract, um, that has been uh, they've been stuck with since they traded Ryan Strome to the um to the Rangers just a few months ago they had acquired Ryan Strom for the Jordan Eberley trade so they lost that trade they've now lost the trade when they got out of the Ryan Strom situation and they're now in the Ryan Spooner contract situation they're trying to dump his contract and guys are outwardly saying no like it has just been a mess there for the Oilers but Still, after all of that, even with all of the fallout they were seeing from the moves that they were making, I was still looking at that thinking, at least they're doing something. Like, I'm looking at the Sabres, who have been floundering for most of this month. It's been a very unimpressive month for the Sabres. After a really impressive uh, November, it was not an impressive December by any regard. And I was looking at the situation wondering, why are we not doing something like this? Why are we not like none of these trades were blockbusters. And he also kind of paid a little too much for some of these if you look at what he gave up for what he got. But at least it was something. At least he's trying something. I don't know if you could call them calculated moves, but at least they're moves. And this was before CJ Smith was called up and I was looking at this situation just getting a little grumpy about it that the Sabres were not responding in turn with just a couple little moves to mix a few things up I'm glad they called up CJ Smith Uh, we talked about last episode that I don't anticipate the Sabres will make changes to the bottom six but some kind of little change I think would be very welcome for this team it's clearly not working right now making some kind of small but significant shift could be beneficial for them. Anyway, moving on to our uh, mailbag. We got one tweet from Robert on Twitter, um, and he wants to know how many games do you ride Allmark in a row to see what he can do in a stint. And that's a really good question considering we just talked about three straight losses and three straight games with Carter Hutton in net, and almost every game – has a goal where you could look at Carter Hutton and think, buddy, I think he could have done a little bit better on those. There's the Blues one where he was sprawled out and he knocked it into the net on his own. There's the Islanders one where he gloved it and then let it go. Last episode, we were talking about him getting pinched behind the net when he was making risky plays behind the net. It might be time. Uh, to give him a rest. We've talked about several times this season that the development plan for Linus Allmark is working. He's getting opportunities to start small and be successful. Maybe it's time to start thinking about taking Carter Hutton out of the limelight and letting Linus Allmark get in there and ride. He's looked really strong in almost all of his games that he's made this season. His stats have been really impressive. He's been assured. And I think it might be time, Robert, I would agree that it might be time to start thinking about seeing what he can do. You know what? Like, We're not anticipating things going well for these three games. Maybe put him out there. I think that would normally be a situation where Phil Halsey would want to keep him out of the crossfire on that one, but maybe put him out there and see what he can do. If he goes out there and is a powerful source in a win over the Panthers who have had the Sabers number for the last many many games. Maybe that's something that we 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 could we could build on after that. And then after that, I would say at this point with how Carter Hutton has been kind of luttin in those kind of goals, I'm wondering if maybe Robert we start just seeing how long you can ride him. Like none of these games are that close together. We're talking about a Thursday, a Saturday, and a Tuesday. Hutton just played a similar schedule like that um, over these last three. Can you give Linus Allmark those three in this situation? I think you could, Um, but I don't know if that's exactly what we'll see. I know Phil Housley is really committed to Carter Hutton. He's the veteran presence on the team and is the declared starting goalie. If they want to keep going with him, I would understand their decision, Um, but I personally might be with you, Robert, if that's your opinion, that we want to see him a little more than we have, considering how assured he has been back there at the time. That's going to do it for the episode. Remember, you can tweet us in your questions on Twitter and email us at icgawpod at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoy this show, we would so appreciate it if you would drop us a five-star review on iTunes. Tell your friends to check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you find your podcasts. Thanks so much for joining in. Keep those heads up, Savers fans. It might not get much better, but remember, it can't get any worse. We'll see you guys soon. Dick in to Oposo. Oposo hanging on to it back at the point. Oposo. Drops it off in the corner to Eichel. Eichel buzzing around. Eichel in the second lane. Score!